Oops. Hello. Oh my goodness, we've missed you. Julie and I took a break for summer, but we are back at it and happy to be here. We wish Our... earlier. There was just some a lot of scheduling conflict that was happening. So sorry about that. It was summertime. I feel like that's the case for everyone in the summertime. You're so sweet, Alicia. Thank you for making me feel that bad about that. <laughs> You're welcome. So today, Julie and I were just talking off air about um, a podcast that we both listened to. And the subject matter was artificial intelligence, but the speaker, Sean Webb, was also talking about his book, Mind Hacking Happiness, and some of the conclusions that he came to through his work with programming artificial intelligence. And so we were kind of talking about how interesting it is and how it kind of ties in with radical acceptance. Yeah. So, but it was kind of, he, he's basically right now super scared of AI because he said, I know the power of AI because he's decoded human behavior, basically, right? Like, and, and basically this book is, like you were talking about, is a separation between you and sense of self so that you can stop taking things personally. So you kind of are on the outside of your life, watching your life happen and going, oh, this is why this happens. And this is why this happens. So A equals, you know, A leads you to B, B leads you to C. So things just flow. Then you don't take it personally. Then you could live a happier life because you know the rhyme and reason between that, that. And, and I, I'm trying to take it, I am trying to put it in a personal example. So let's say with me and, you know, let's say my sister or whatever, right? And she triggers something because it was the, so A happened in my childhood. So B um, is my reaction whenever A, whenever A gets triggered. So B gets, so I, I go, she says something about, um, let's say she bumps into me, she hits me accidentally. But I think it was on purpose because she, I, I did get hit when I was younger. So it triggers the, oh my gosh, you hit me. And then, and then my reaction is, I don't like her. She doesn't like me. Um, you know, she did that on purpose. She's um, a bad person. I'm a victim, whatever, whatever those thoughts that might have come up. And what he's saying basically, right, is saying, that's the code. That trigger brought you to these behaviors and these feelings. So if you just took a step back and realized, Oh, A plus B equals C. So just just watch it. So now you just know that's what that's why it happens. Yeah, I think uh, I had a conversation with a client today, and she was telling me that this was her story. Her daughter had stayed out late, and when they woke up the next morning, her husband was like, "She's not going to go to class. She's going to fail out." like thinking all these negative things. And she got offended. Like, I feel like you don't know my daughter because my daughter would not do that. She's a very responsible person and I trust her. And I was telling her like, he was not, that reaction was not about her. It was about him. He's thinking if I didn't, if I stayed out late, I wouldn't go to class. I might get behind. I've seen this happen before or whatever. And so his reaction wasn't really about her at all. Yes, she stayed out late and didn't go to class or whatever the scenario was, but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen the way that he thinks it will happen. And he thinks it would happen like that based on his own experiences or the way that he views things. So it's not actually personal to her at all. And that's, that's true for anything in life. You know, if people feel the need, oh, what was another? Oh, a client told me, this is all from today. So this is it's wild how these things all tie together. Um, a client told me that she was, somebody called her um, borderline and she got really upset. Like, oh my God, why would you think that about me? Why would you 
why would you have said that to me? And so she went on this rabbit hole of like researching borderline, seeing if she related to any of it. And then she was just getting more and more offended. Like, why would somebody say this about me? And I was like, you know what? Border- Who knows? What? Oh, borderline mean? personality disorder. Oh, okay. Okay. And I was like, maybe she was just reading about borderline or maybe she had just met someone that was borderline or maybe, you know, there's any number of things that could have happened that had borderline fresh in her head. And so something you said in your two minutes of conversation triggered her to think about that. And she was like, oh, maybe this is something you could relate to. It, it probably had nothing to do with you, really, other than something you said reminded her of something else. <laughs> Yeah. And Sean Webb has a, a podcast. I think it's two hours or something. So you have two hours on your hands. You should listen to it. Um, and he, it, after, re, after listening to that, I just realized, oh, this makes a lot of sense because I'm going to use the personal experience of my sister. So then a lot, uh, a lot of the times when I'm thinking about the situation, I put myself in the situation and think about it. I'm not thinking about it from afar. And realizing, yeah, we, me and her have the same parents. We're about two years apart and we have very similar childhoods, but we have different classrooms. We had different teachers. We have different, you know, so those, all those experiences, eight hours a day, plus our afternoon stuff was different. Like I had friends um, that lived on our streets. So I would leave, I would go and play with them all afternoon or something. Right. So I wasn't there with her during the other time or I didn't know if she was getting bullied at school. Or I, didn't, I didn't know a lot of stuff that might have been happening. So even though we do have the same parents, we're only two years apart. We have radical different lives, radically different lives. And I just, it made me decode that a little bit more and take it way less offensively. Because it doesn't matter what she reacts to, how, you know, because it's not my reaction. And it goes back to that husband, to the wife going, oh my God, our daughter's going to fail. I can't believe it, blah, blah. It's like, yeah that that triggered something with him even though they had the same daughter and they raised the same daughter over the same period of time yeah and I think it can be applied you know outside of taking things personally just taking things too seriously you know and I'm kind of like I I think that you know I say a lot that I feel like I've I've learned things slowly And one of the things that I think I've finally gotten a better grip on is that like most things aren't that serious. We think things are serious. Earlier, for example, Julie and I were talking about marriage. Some people will have extremely passionate views about marriage. And some people would think, you know, it's so important and this and that, and you have to do it this way. But is it? you know, and, and we got to ask ourselves these questions. You have your own value system and what does your value system say about it instead of what is society telling me about it or what is the government telling me about it or my parents, you know, and we, we are easily trained by society and our parents and the government, but at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves about our own value system. And then we don't have to be bothered by a lot of things that happen in life. Yeah. And also what you just brought up, it's marriage clearly is a failing entity. There's 56% failure rate in, in marriages. And even just saying failure rate puts so much, such a heaviness to it, right? So 56% of marriages don't work out. And I'm probably going to guess 50% of more than 50% of restaurants don't work out either. And businesses don't work out. You know, there's a lot of businesses. And if, you know, in this in this way, a relationship or marriage is an entity as well. They don't work out. What happens after they don't work out? You keep going. And also, it doesn't take into account the 56% how you mentioned. Remember, people that are separated that aren't actually divorced on paper, people that stick stay with it because of the kids, people that think, oh, it's too financially complicated to try to get a divorce, so I'll just stay in. Or, but you know, whatever those reasons are, if you add all those, that's way more than 56, right? So it's just 56 filed and completed. Right. So it's like, how do we 
now continue to put money into in failing investment. It's kind of like this mm. business failing and it's going, oh, every month, can you put in more money? It's like, oh, okay. And then the reason is, oh, it's because we said so in hopes and whatever. There's no actual, it's like, if, but if you run, if you try to run some KPIs or you try to run some p- points, okay, we fought, you know, 30 times. And then the next month, we also fought 30 times. They don't understand, but this month, I'm still going to invest the same amount. You know what I mean? You, it's crazy if you really break it down, like, business-wise. Because it's like, okay, if you use certain points, if you're just talking about, like, how many dates did you guys go on? How many fights you guys had? How many, um, I don't know, how many, uh, um, how many times you guys had sex? You know, or for example, right? So it's like, you, let's say you use those points and then every month you review how successful your relationship is and then they go, okay, but you still need to we stay need to have quarterly meetings yeah. and evaluate how successful we are. No, but if you really, if you break, try to break down and take the romanticism out of it and you just try to break it down, then it makes it less painful. Like it's not, if it doesn't work out, it just doesn't work out, period. There isn't doesn't mean anything. Right. And I think that's beautiful that you just said those words, because I think that's so important with, with everything in life. What things only have meaning because we give them meaning and why do we give them meaning? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Why am I giving this meaning? Why do we do that? Alicia, tell us. (laughs) Well, I mean, my answer isn't that great because I think it goes back to this whole programming thing that we are programmed by our parents, we're programmed by our schools, we're programmed by the government, we're programmed by our culture, our social media, you know, we're just, we're programmed to think certain things. And in a lot of circumstances, we do not encourage people to think about things for themselves and, and speak on how they feel about things. It's, no, you need to sit down in class. You need to do your homework. Like these are just the rules. This is just how it goes. And there's not a lot of creativity and there's not a lot of options. So, you know, I I think that that's why we get so dogmatic about things because we're told it's supposed to go this way. And then it, it, it gets hard for us to imagine it being different. Because we've believed it for so long. Right. It's like drilled into us so to speak. Yeah. So it's like, okay, marriage, 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 marriage was really drilled in to you and me. Mm-hmm. Like I really wanted to get married. I think that was just my, one of my lifelong goals to get married. Now that I've been presented with an opportunity in marriage, I'm always like, is this what I want to do? <laughs> Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> yeah. And I think, it goes for a lot of other things too, like going to college or getting the right job or making a certain amount of money. I have, um, I had a massage therapist that was living a very different life and oh, I think I talked about him on here before. And he was oh. like, my, my family don't, doesn't, doesn't understand my lifestyle, but he's not living for the almighty dollar. He's living for how can I help people? How can I help myself? How can I reach my highest self? And that was really what his goal was. So imagine you're in the top 10% and your kid says, you know, I don't think I want to go to college. I don't think I want to work. I think I just want to go be a monk. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, there's, I totally understand because I don't completely blame the parents and I don't completely blame him. Like I'm, you know, there's a side of me that's rooting for him. Like, yeah go find your own happiness protect your peace buddy you go right but on the other end as um you know like the parents watching their son go oh my god is he throwing away his life and his career and everything that's that stability you could give him you know so do you really want to live this and you know this this life where you're chasing you're yeah you're not chasing money but you don't have any so you don't have the freedom to freedom so are you in a way uh, hurting yourself? I don't that that's really hard, especially if it was my kid. I'd be like, okay, I know I have to let go, but this is very hard. 
that's a hard. I remember one of my friends saying, "I don't care what my daughter does as long as she's not an artist." And I started laughing. I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She was like, "Artists don't make any money." And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so, I understand like you said from one perspective, it's like you're going to be a starving artist. They call them starving artists for a reason. <laughs> So do you really want your kid to be a starving artist? No, of course you don't. But at the same time, do you want your kid to honor themselves and whatever they think their purpose and journey is? Yeah, because if they also, you know, on the other end of it, if let's say if they do, he's like, okay, fine, dad. I'm going to stay in med school. I'm going to stay in, uh, in law school. I'm going to stay in these things, even though I'm depressed and I hate it. Then it's going to be really sad to see your son or daughter just come home and just go and just have no light in their eyes you know that's a that's a sad you know scene like I, I, I wouldn't want that either well and I think it happens I mean from a mental health perspective I think it happens all the time I talk to people I was talking to this guy a couple of years ago um, and he was telling me I thought it was so hilarious because he was like me and my friends are so mad because we've been sold a bill of bullshit that, you know, the, the goal is to get the good job, get married, have a kid. He's like, and now we've done all of those things and none of us are happy. And my friend just said it this weekend. She was in town and she said, I've always thought that, like, if I just get this car or this house or live in this area or get paid this amount, then I'll finally be happy. And she thought marriage would make her happy. She thought having a kid would make her happy. And she's like, you know, all of these things bring me like temporary joy. She's like, but none of them have made me happy. And she's like, so now I'm just like, what, what, what's left? Yeah. What do I do now? So Gutha, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's just Hollywood thing too. And all, like you said, all our beliefs are built from, from deep rooted in us, right? from our culture, social media, government, friends, family, what everything, everything in the building blocks. And there's, there's going to be a point I feel in everybody's lives. That's going to be that, who am I doing this for feeling? And whether you actually address it or don't, that feeling comes up. The number one regret of the dying is not living my life for myself. And sadly, I don't think people even realize that they haven't lived themselves, lived their life for themselves until it gets closer to the end sometimes. And then people are looking back saying like, well, damn, I did this for my husband. I did this for my kids. I did this for my parents. When did I do anything for me? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 100%. Or my friends or whomever else might be around um, and I think it's a scary question to ask especially now because we have so many options and it can be like what is that called paradox decision twist. fatigue oh yeah <laughs> where you're trying to look at all these options and you're like damn I don't know if I can make this decision like I'm overwhelmed I don't think that's what it's called decision fatigue I think is when you're making decisions all day long yeah then you're so tired that you can't make anymore you're done yeah yeah I think this would be more like just being overstimulated by all the options that exist yeah I think it's a paradox of choice isn't it isn't that it oh Where okay where it's like, it, there's a TED talk about it, you know, having like, you know, 25 uh, I don't know, flavors of spaghetti. I think that's what his TED talk was about. And it was just like, it doesn't, it, it ends up hurt, not hurting you, but it ends up yeah, overwhelming you to a point where you either freeze or you, yeah, you don't make a decision or you're forced to make it. I don't know, whatever it is. Right. But sometimes it's just easier to say yes or no. You know what I mean? You, yeah. You, you get spaghetti sauce or you don't get the spaghetti <laughs> you know, Yeah, give me one option. That's all I need. Or yeah. two options, rather. Yeah, I think uh, the idea that Sean Webb was talking about as far as, like, separating yourself from your sense of self 
he described the sense of self as being something that we create over our lifetime. And he was explaining that your parents can be a part of your sense of self. And he said, so if somebody says something about your parents, you're going to get really defensive because our automatic instinct as humans is to defend our sense of self. So he was saying that instead of like being on the defense all the time, we can separate ourselves and say like, yeah, that's my dad. And sort of like, give it back. It's not, I, I, it's not me. That's my dad. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if I explained that well. No, it is because uh, what in this example that like my dad or whatever, like saying, oh, that's my dad. You're not justifying what he's doing, but you're not owning to it. You're not saying, okay, I'm taking accountability. I'm sorry. That's my dad. That's I'm taking accountability. What he think? I think it's embarrassing or whatever it is. Right. Sorry. That's my dad. Right. Um, or that's my dad um, has a feeling of, I accept him because I love him. He's my dad. Um, you know, but I may not accept his behavior right now. Right. Feeling without connecting it to you, not saying he's your dad. He did this. So you must be doing this too. Or you must have something to do with that. Yeah. I've had clients like, let's just say their dad went to prison. And that's like an embarrassing story to tell. Like, oh, my dad went to prison. Or, or it could even be considered like a sob story that, to tell. But if you can separate yourself from that, like, okay, that was my dad. My dad did that. I didn't do that. And just because my dad went to prison, that's not a reflection of who I am as a person. Does that make sense? And to broaden it, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go. No, no, go ahead. To broaden it even further, he was saying, who you are at your core has nothing to do with these ways that we've defined ourselves anyways. Who we are at our core is pure consciousness. And that's where he gets like kind of spiritual with things. And he starts to get into the meditation stuff. Uh because he's saying that you can get more in touch with who you are at your core when you meditate. And I've always said, what you do is not who you are. How you look is not who you are. When we're talking about building confidence and building self-esteem, it isn't how much you're working out or what you're eating or any of those things. This body that we're in is just a bag of flesh, as Sebastian would say. Uh, or a meat sack, I think he called it, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and it is, you could say, our host that we're in while we're here. So yeah, we can do the best we can with our host while we're here. But at the end of the day, we are not our flaws. We are not our strengths and weaknesses. We are something bigger. Yeah. let's have a moment for that <laughs> but also I wanted to bring up what I wanted to say earlier was uh there's still some people do like let's say my dad went to prison and then you go I'm not gonna do I'm gonna do I'm gonna be such a straight edge citizen outstanding citizen so that I'm gonna do everything pay all my taxes do do not cheat on anything don't but you know what I mean and, and, and do the extreme but that extreme, the reason for extreme is for attachment too. You know, you attach the story of the dad, but because you're trying so hard, you're doing the opposite. But, you know, if, if you just continue living your life, you may not even want to live that straight edge life. You're just doing it to prove to people that you're the opposite, that you're not that person. So, but you have to think about that person to be, to not be that person. Mm-hmm. So there's still attachment there. Versus yeah. just do what you want to do. Um, you know, whether if that's a massage therapist or if that's a starving artist. <laughs> we always bring up things that make people happy. And it doesn't mean that you have to make less money about it. You know, like there's, a lot, yeah, there's a lot of very successful CEOs I know that love what they do. And they're badasses and they work super hard and they make a ton of money and they're really happy. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that being a lawyer is going to make you unhappy or a doctor is going to make you unhappy. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that 
just whatever that happiness is and it happens to make money to or doesn't make money, then that then that's just part of it, right? Just the, you know, the definition of happiness can't be swayed one way or, or the other. It could be the two and a half, you know, the white picket fence, the two and a half kids, the, you know, the dog. The- two and a half kids. I would think a half in there. And, you know, you could do that and have a straight edge, a straight edge life, but that's what you want. So who says that's wrong? Right. You know, and who says working your ass off? Like I, I love my company and I work my ass off to do it, but it makes me really proud of myself and really happy. And people are like, why do you, you don't have to work that hard, but I want to, makes me happy. I'm not trying to prove. And, and the thing is over the years, my confidence is way better now because before I wanted to get married so I could prove to people that I was worth marrying, that someone loved me. I could prove to the world I'm loved. Look at the ring. I'm loved. Look at someone's willing to, to spend the rest of their life with me. Um, but now I think I'm great. So I don't need it. I don't need that. So I have less need for that as my, as my confidence has, is growing. And as my confidence growing, it grows more as well with my work. I'm not doing it to prove to other people I could do it or to prove to other, to buy things so that I could prove to other people I'm worthy, you know, like get them designer this designer that or whatever right the the more confident i become the less i needed all that um and even if i wanted to buy it i like it i'm not i'm not doing it because you would like me more i'm doing it because i actually like it um yeah and obviously there's some there's some times when i do feel bet down and i want to try to be cool to feel validated again and you know like there's times when i'm like uh-huh. You know, like I just, you just feel bad and you just want a little bit of attention or you just want to, yes, I still absolutely 100% do that all the time. Um, But I also, I also going back to Sean Webb, I also see it as that when I'm dressing up, I go, you know what, today I want some attention and that I'm going to dress a little bit nice. I'm going to dress a little bit revealing and that's okay. Because I decided to do that and I'm going to do it because this is what I want. And then it, it, it puts the power back in your hands, whether you're doing the same thing or not. Right. I could be going out, getting, I could go be going out wearing a tight little dress and getting the attention that I want, but having that, having the feeling towards it feel completely two different uh, feelings. One of them is like, I need this attention or I would feel really bad about myself. The other one is, and, and attaching all the emotions to it. If I don't get hit on, then what happens? If I get hit on by an ugly guy, if I get yeah. hit on, you know, whatever, right? Or like, if it's if I don't feel good about myself, whatever. Feel fat in the dress, whatever. But if I take the person out, like if I, if I just realize I want attention, this is what I'm going to do for it. And then you decode what you're doing. Then when you go out, it's there's less pressure about it and there's less re, uh, uh, emotional reaction. This is how I think about it. I don't know. What do you think? I think I I think that what you're saying, if I'm understanding it correctly, is even though you have come to a new place with something, you might still have moments when you're like, yeah, I'm going to resort back to that way of being because I'm in a, I'm having a weak moment or I'm having a low moment. And at the end of it, I won't feel destroyed because I have done all this work to build myself up. Um, But I'm also, you're also saying I'm not going to be perfect. I'm still going to, you know, potentially go back to some of my old ways on occasion or whatever. And I think that that's fine too. And I think, I feel like we need to look at mistakes differently as well. Like, let's say your child does do something let's say they decide to be an artist and they are starving and you're like see I told you so I knew (laughs) you were gonna do that that's okay though because hopefully your child is learning something through that process and we can't spare anyone including ourselves of pain in life like we're all gonna experience it and the beauty of the pain is that we can learn and grow through the pain it doesn't it doesn't end us yes you made a mistake okay hopefully you can learn from it 
Ooh. And without, can you learn something without pain? That's a good question. I don't know. Probably like from a textbook or from someone else's experience. But can you really learn it? I, you could read it and be familiar with it, but can you learn it without feeling the pain? I remember in my um, motivation class, it was one of the best classes I took in undergrad. I think the conclusion that we came to was like 80% of learning has to be like through emotional pain. But I think it was like 20% you could learn from other people's experiences or you could learn joyfully, I suppose. So I think it's the majority is through pain. Mm, Because I want to say mine is mostly through pain. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly feels that way, doesn't it? I know. Why do I want to? It's and I go. You know what? I'm just. I'm just in pain because I'm learning. Oh, okay. It makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, if it, you're, if you're at the gym, and you are building muscle, it's gonna hurt. If you go to the gym and you leave and you're not really feeling anything, it doesn't mean it wasn't good for you, but you may not have built more muscle that day you may have just burned some calories exercised your heart whatever maybe you're there only to exercise your heart and burn some calories maybe you're not there to build muscle say so point. maybe there's some lessons where you know they uh, what's that quote the teacher shows up when the student's ready um mm. right but what if you know the, the the teacher shows up in the form and fashion when when you're ready to hear it but maybe you're okay with that burning calories and whatever and just good for your heart maybe that's okay right now and there's going to be a point where you're going to have to burn muscle you know like um what is it build muscle (laughs) i had to like touch. i was like oh i don't know what is it (laughs) but uh but also you know going back to that like with, with the pain thing it's it's really true because my dad and my boyfriend actually they are very similar in this way when they see when my dad sees his daughters in pain um he does everything he possibly could do to get us up but it's really hard for him to be like dad and I had to tell him we need to go through this because we don't we don't learn and you're not going to be here forever if you're gone one day and reality hits us smacks us in the face we're going to be like what the hell is this? I've never, and we might be scared of it versus, you know, over the years, let's say we, we, we get a splinter. Ow, ow, that hurts, blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay. Now I, now I know what the, what a splinter feels like. The next, you know, next two years, you get a paper cut. And then after that, you get a, you know, um, a sprained ankle. And then you get a broken bone. And then you, so you're building up to how to react to these things, right? Versus, let's say, she protected us and wrapped everything in bubble wrap. So I've never gotten a splinter in my entire life. You know, imagine me 40 years old, never getting hurt. Then he's not there. Let's say I move away, pass away, God forbid. But, you know, and he's not there for me. And then I, and I'm 40, so I'm, I'm going to do the broken bone level. I'm not, I'm past the splinter level. The splinter level is in kindergarten. So I'm doing the broken bone level. Do you know the the, the, the hurt that I'm going to go, it's going to be an overwhelming amount of pain that I have never faced before because I was never allowed to face it. Cause I, I, and I, and the growth that I'm going to get during that time may not be, may be too big for me. It might be too strong. I might either go to a deep depression and my reaction might be drugs, numbing it out, escapism, or hopefully it would be like, okay, this makes me stronger. But like, that jump from zero, you know, I'm, I'm going from, I didn't go on my training wheels. I'm just, I'm going from not, not knowing, you know, not knowing how to ride a bike to a motorcycle. It's like, dude, I never, I never even went on a tricycle before, you know, like, yeah, like, not like, safe. Yeah. Here's a Harley Davidson. Can you drive it 300 miles down the street? I'm like, what are you talking about? I can't do this. Right. So so uh, uh, Matt does that too. Like his daughter recently hit, she was, she was telling him he had a UTI or something. And she was like, oh my God, I need to get medicine for her. I don't know how to get, I don't know. And he's like, like, 
you know, try to get all the vitamins. I try to get all the supplements. I try to get everything. And then he was like, do you know how I could get the antibiotic? And I was like, it's through prescription. So I know, but I need to get it for her. She's in pain. I just feel so bad. It's like, okay, but you know, there's things that, I mean, maybe she needs to learn to take care of herself in a certain way or whatever and stuff like that. But like his reaction is let me bubble wrap everything. Mm-hmm. Take the world so that it's nice to you. Yeah. That was a point one of my professors made in college that most people experience struggle and the people who don't experience much of it tend to get it at some point in life and then really not know how to handle it. So there is something to be said for going through struggle for me too, just, you know, as far as like people that I like to have in my life, I like to have people who have a little mental health issues because I feel like those people tend to be more humble. They tend to be more grounded. They tend to be more genuine you know, on like massive mental health issues, like narcissists or something, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. like a little anxiety, a little depression, something along those lines. Or so, at least at some point in their life, maybe not now, maybe they've gone yeah. through it. Yeah. I or like maybe- someone who's like familiar enough with those things Yes. so that they're like, and, and you know, not to say that I wouldn't have someone in my life who had no mental health issues, but I'm just saying, I feel like that struggle builds people like good people and I I feel like some of the kindest people I've met have been through the worst things and and that's true in my work and in my personal life so that's a theme and you know some people say struggle builds character and you know I don't wish struggle on anybody but at the same time I do hope that people can stay grounded and stay true to themselves yeah at least I, the people that I'm hanging out with you know yeah I love that I am writing that down struggle builds character um <laughs> but also I also want to think because there's some people that you know criminals or or people that just hurt other people because they were hurt they went right. through so yeah I, ideally the people that gone through a struggle, but took the uh, path where um, they weren't the victim and they could just say, hey, you know what, what, what could I make my life better? You know, with a more of a positive, um, uh, positive. It is interesting. There's that uh, dichotomy in how people handle pain. And some people are like, I've been hurt, so I'm going to hurt. And yeah. then other people are like, I've been hurt, so I want to spare everyone from hurt. Mm. it's very interesting um you know there there's other paths as well but that those are common ones so how do you predict can you predict how one way one person's going to react over another i mean i don't know that i can i'm sure there are factors to consider um this is one of those This is a a tough one because in order for anybody to get better at anything, they have to be willing to take responsibility. And one of the things that's common in some of the sickest people that we know in the world of psychology is that they can't take any responsibility. So if you can't take any responsibility, you cannot improve upon yourself. And sadly, I mean, I think there's a good portion of the population that really just cannot take responsibility they just cannot own anything sorry i'm writing all your notes down these are so amazing <laughs> i literally had an epiphany like when you talk about dichotomy of i got hurt so i'm gonna hurt everybody and people literally started popping my head like populating uh... then when you said the other one would be I got hurt, so I'm going to protect and spare everyone um, and justify how they feel and justify their actions, even if they're horrendous. And yeah. a, a list of people popped up in my head, too. And I was like, oh, my God. And some of these people have similar characteristics and some people don't. Like you, you can't really predict or I don't know what the 
how to, you know, I don't, I don't know the means to do so, but um, it's so interesting how people react. Cause I reacted with, uh, I got hurt. So I would hurt everyone when I was, when I was struggling with self-esteem. And as I got more, as I got more confident over the years, I'm more like, I got hurt. So I'm going to try to protect everybody and justify what they, what, how they react, what they do, what they say. But in reality, sometimes the stuff that I say is really shitty. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't nice. And they're jerks or they're not good people. But I go around justifying it because I feel like everyone should have a second chance. Or, or you know, like, like, oh, I know how that felt. Oh, can I feel bad for them? But to get mm-hmm. out of it. Or I don't know, whatever, right? There, uh, There's options of, of sitting in it. And how long do you have, how long do you let it sit? That's a good question. I think everybody's threshold is different. Uh, And hopefully, you know, part of what we're talking about is paying attention to what your boundaries need to be individually. And I think we should have a place where we draw the line. I think Mm -hmm. that's very important because like you're saying, we can be really understanding of where another person's coming from. But I still need to protect myself and value myself enough that I'm setting proper boundaries so that this behavior can't continue. I was talking to a mom recently who was telling me that her son tells her, um, yeah, I'm like this because of you. And I was like, oh, no, he should not be talking to you like that. If you're upset with me, we can talk about it but you're not going to talk to me like that and tell me that I'm the reason that your whole life is ruined and and all of that. At some point, sir, you're going to have to take responsibility for your life and figure that out. And I'm here to help you and guide you and have conversations with you and help hold your pain. But I'm not here to be your punching bag and to take all the blame for everything that's wrong in your life. Well, let me correct something or let me suggest something instead of hold your pain. I will hold space for you, for you to feel safe to hold your pain. I think people need to understand that because parents, I'm not a parent, so it's really hard for me to see. So I just, when I see my boyfriend, the way he acts with his daughters, and sometimes they're really mean to him, like they just say really mean things to him. Like the, uh, like, you know, a while back, one of them, he was fixing his, uh, he brought his, he brought his daughter's car to the shop, right? And the shop said it took four days. It was going to take four days. And she said, okay, that's fine. On the fourth day, he called the shop and they're like, oh, it's going to take a couple more days. Or it's going to take tomorrow morning. We couldn't get it, get it done today. So she, he called and she went, hey, honey, I'm so sorry. Hey, baby, I'm so sorry. Um, but it's not going to be done today. But I'm going to pick it up tomorrow morning. And I'll drop it off to you. So it's not, don't worry about it. And you can use my extra car. Don't worry about it. And her reaction was like, Ugh, okay, that's great. And I was like, and then he hung up. Went, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She went, fine. And then hung up, right? And I was like, oh. uh. I said, wait, did she pay for the repair? He said, no, I paid for it. Did she go and pick up your car no no i had it dropped off to her um did she is she picking up the place no 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 i'm gonna have it dropped off so she did nothing outside of breaking the car or figuring out there was an issue telling you about it and you completely figure it out but just be you know 12 hours later yeah that's a very poor way of reacting he went no no she was just frustrated I go, I don't care if she's frustrated. In my head, right? Like, I don't care if she's frustrated. Why the fuck do you let her talk to you like that? You know, and there's going to be a time when it's not going to, that not going to be okay. Like, I don't know. Well, just- yeah, we all have to draw the line somewhere. And if you don't, then you're just teaching people they can treat you like that. Yeah. And then he talks about us having kids. And I go, I'm really worried about us having kids because what I'm worried about is you letting them talk to you like that. It's not going to happen with our kids. He's like, oh, no, no, it's not going to happen to be different. How's it different when I clearly see you not being different? And he said, it's too late because his kids are old, right? And he goes, no, it's too late for them. No, it's that- not. No. I don't think so. No, you can set a new standard and a new precedence at any point. It'll be uncomfortable and it'll be weird. Like, wait, I always talk to dad like that. What? What the hell? What? Is that not okay anymore? What the hell? You know? But, They're not yeah, going to like it, 
People don't like it when you set a new standard. Think about at work if you have to implement something new. People don't really like it. At, usually at first, they're like, oh, I don't want to do this new thing. It's going to be terrible. It's not going to help anything. And then they get into it and it just becomes their routine. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing for any change that we, any new boundary that we try to set with someone. They're not going to like it and they're going to act up, especially in the beginning. But if you maintain your boundary, it just becomes the new thing. Like, okay, yeah, I just, I can't talk to him like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we I think- teach people how they can treat us. Yeah, from your reaction, from your, and I really, it, it just starts to make so much more sense when you say that now, because I just think about even my own situation, right? With my sisters, my parents, I always thought, I was like, that's not fair. Like, why does my parents, like, feel like they're walking on eggshells when it comes to my younger sister? My younger sister is very straight, you know, she graduated honors and valedictorian high school, valedictorian college, like, you know, very whatever, right? But she's also strict on how to be treated you don't treat me like this like when my older sister was abusing me and she was trying to abuse her she went nope and then my sister didn't and then she didn't really and then it was just me right so it was she she taught people how to be treat how she's going to get treated regardless of who that person was whether it was my parents or her older sister or her younger sister or um or her teacher you know, yeah, and think it, you can think about it in terms of teachers. That's actually a great way to think about it. If you have a teacher who's not going to give a shit if you're in the classroom, who doesn't care if you've plagiarized your entire paper, you're probably not going to put in as much effort in that class. But if you have a teacher that you know has high expectations for you and they're not going to put up with any nonsense and you better turn in that paper and it better not be plagiarized, that's what you're going to deliver. Yeah. When you know a teacher's lazy and he barely shows up and it's like, oh, is he drunk today? You're you're not going to do your A game. Excuse me. (laughs) Right. Why would I? This doesn't even make sense. Cruise through this class. Yeah, I'm going to cruise through this class. What am I doing? Why? Why put in that extra effort? And I think there's a there's a lot of that when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to the way that I feel like he raises kids. But I also want to say that I, I don't have kids. I don't know where I would be, you know, and I'm, I, I, I really, I just, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you the last therapy session that I had with um, my daughter's therapist, I was really distraught because she was being a real pain in the butt that day and nothing was making her happy. And I was giving her all kinds of options to try to problem solve so that we could get her to a place where she was okay with what was happening. And she was just rejecting everything and she wasn't down for anything. And so by the time we got to therapy, I was, I was upset. I was frustrated. And I said to the therapist in front of her, I've tried everything to make her happy and nothing's working. And so the therapist asked her to leave the room and she was like, okay, do not say that to her. And I was like, what? And she said, it is not your job to make her happy. That's her job to make her happy. And, and sometimes as a parent, you have to do things that aren't going to make your kid happy, but they're necessary. So if you set the precedence that I'm here to make you happy, then she's not going to want to do a lot of the things that you ask her to do because they don't make her happy. Mm. And not only that, she's looking to you for her happiness. So I was like, Oh, I kind of feel like that got a little dramatic, you know, like whatever. And so I left and literally two days later, I asked my daughter to do something. And she said, well, you're not making me happy. And I was like, oh, well, you know what? Your therapist told me that's not my job. And she went, <laughs> that's fantastic. So we had a whole conversation about it. And the therapist said, you know, you can say things like, I'm trying to help you be brave. I'm trying to help you think of solutions. I'm trying to help you, you know, whatever, but problem solve. But to say, I'm trying to make you happy, wrong words. You, uh. That's not your job. And I think as a parent, and she said this, as a parent, you want to make your kids happy. Of course you do. But it isn't your job and you can't always make them happy and you can't spare them from suffering. They're going to suffer in this life. And the thing that to think about is what 
benefit can they get from this suffering? What can we learn from this suffering? And every parent, I think, messes up with their kid in one way, shape, or form. And I always joke with Sebastian, like, oh, God, what's it going to be that our kids complain about? Like, I can't. I'm curious to see what they're going to say we did wrong, you know? Because I'm sure we're doing something wrong, especially from their perspective, right? Right. Um, But what comforts me is to think whatever it is that I'm doing wrong, I'm teaching them, hey, people aren't perfect. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. And maybe that goes to the radical acceptance, except that they're not perfect. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the radical acceptance. I forgot about that. So, yeah, I think um, bringing it back to the Sean Webb thing with the the radical acceptance, I think the way that I've thought about things before is that if you can transcend your emotions about something and rise above the situation, it does require you to separate yourself from the situation and try to observe what's going on rather than being immersed in what's going on. And if we can separate ourselves from any situation in life, we can practice radical acceptance. Like, yep, this is just what's happening. It usually doesn't mean life or death. Okay. Usually there's always exceptions. Uh, And usually there's a way out, you know, like we were kind of talking earlier with business, like there's ways around things in business. There's ways that people survive things. And it's the same as the truth in life in general. We don't always know the answers right away, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. I love that. So what did she say exactly she, to, to your therapist said to you? She said, you don't teach. Oh, wait, you said that's not your job to make her happy. Yeah. What, wasn't there another line that she said? She your said, I can help her problem solve. I can help her come up with solutions. I can help her be brave. I can help her be confident. But to say, I'm trying everything to make you happy and nothing's working. That was the wrong line. (laughs) I like, I like it because there's so many people that do that. And it's not only with, with kids, relationships, um everything you know like I I know that there's times when they're like when Matt has said to me you know oh my god I'm trying everything to make you happy mm-hmm. yeah actually someone sent me this beautiful text today let's see if I can find it oh there was an interview where they were asking women if your man came home and woke you up at three in the morning to ask you to make them something to eat, what would you do? And she said, back in the day, I would have woken up and done whatever for them and then realized it's still not good enough in their eyes. And that was like really an interesting thing to think about because even when we try everything to make someone happy, most of the time, we're going to fail because it's not our job in the first place. Right. 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 Make your own damn food. First of all, I'd be like, are you serious right now? Did you just wake me up? (laughs) Julie and I, our partners know we do not like to be woken up. (laughs) Don't touch us. (laughs) Let me sleep, damn it. I like sleep. What I don't like even this morning, Sebastian woke me up and I was like, hey, I have 15 more minutes. Leave me alone. And he was like, no, school's getting ready to start. You need to start getting up early. And I was like, oh, thanks, dad. I think I'll take my 15 minutes. He was like, mm, thank you. Make your own damn thing. He's all like, yeah. what? make your own breakfast. Go away. And uh, yeah, just being, just knowing that you can't control other people's happiness is so key. It's just, it's so key because, you know, even in in toxic, unhealthy situations where you're giving everything to this person and they're never happy 
and you just, you know, you just need to realize they're never going to be happy. It doesn't matter. You know, it's a moving target. Yeah. And if you live your life to please other people, kind of going back to that point, you're not going to feel like you're doing it properly because there's going to be somebody who's unhappy with what you're doing. People always have opinions. People always have some bullshit they want to throw at you or put on you. And there's no way to make every single person happy. So if that's your measure of success in life, you're going to fail. Yeah. And I'll, yeah, because pe- like your definition, for example, Alicia's definition of perfect of a perfect life is probably very different from my uh, view of a perfect life. It's very different from maybe Sebastian's and Matt's and our fathers and our mothers. Every Everyone has a different perspective of what makes them happy. My mom right now, is in the greatest place in her life, right? She's, she's, um, she has the energy of like a 40 year old. She has a disposable income of an 80 year old, of a well off 80 year old. Let me just correct that. And she has, um, you know, so, so she has all that. So what she really wants to do is literally travel all the time. Like she would be okay with traveling maybe seven months out of the year. I would not, that sounds terrible to me. But she just loves doing that, right? But that's her definition of what a perfect life would be. My definition, that would be hell for me. I'd be absolutely like, I can't live out of luggage. I don't care how nice these hotels. I just, I don't want to deal with all that. I just want to work. Work makes me happy. Work does not make me happy. She's like, what? Why do you want to work so much? I was like, this is my happy place. She's like, no. She looked at me like I was psycho. Like, oh my God, she needs help. Um, (laughs) Because she just... You know, that that wasn't her definition. Yeah, I like to work as well. I like my job. I love what I do. Every day of doing therapy is never a bad day. Uh, If that's all I'm doing, if therapy is all I'm doing, it's never a bad day. Um, There are other factors, other businesses that may cause me stress. But therapy itself, I love. It does not make me upset. However, many of my clients say things like, oh, my God, I could never be a therapist. I could never sit and listen to people. And that's fine. That's not their path. That's my path. And that's why we're all individuals and we're all different because we can't all do the same shit. Okay. Right. And then also, let's say if I depended my definition of perfection on Alicia's definition of perfection. If if I was her daughter and she said, no, this makes me really happy, so it's going to make you really happy. I don't want to sit there and listen to people's problems. I don't want to do that. Sorry. But you like doing that. And then for me, I'm going to feel less than if I put my level of perfection up, uh, dependent on your level of um, perfection. Because that's not what I want to do. But if that's what I have to do, I guess I'll do it. But to actively sit there and listen to people and be super empathetic and non judgmental and be comforting and then pulling all these. Um, you know, um, psychological uh, theories and quotes and whatever to make the, to make to create a safe space for them and to see them grow, right? On the outside, sounds amazing, but in reality, it seems like a lot of work, a lot of work. And I don't know if I, I don't think. Work. Yeah, and I don't know if that would make me happy, but it won't make Julie happy, but it makes Alicia happy. You know, so we right. really remember that everyone's definition of per- perfection it's 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 different it's a moving target yeah i remember telling one of my clients um most of the time deadlines can be extended he was like uh not in my work <laughs> he's like in my work if they say friday at three it damn well better be submitted by friday at three or there's going to be a big problem and i was like oh okay I can understand that. I'm sure that that's not, most of the time, deadlines can be extended. But if in certain industries and in certain circumstances, I'm sure there are things that can't be extended, like emergency surgery. I'm sure you can't be like, oh, we'll just wait till tomorrow. Your appendix ruptured, we'll just, we'll get you in tomorrow. (laughs) You know what I mean? So uh, there are a lot of variables and there are a lot of differences and that's what makes the world so interesting and that's what makes life so interesting and it's important that we respect that and try to be understanding of those types of differences 
Absolutely agree. Well, I think this is a great welcome back episode. <laughs> yes. I don't know what the friggin' subject matter was, but it's definitely happiness. So we could say that. <laughs> yeah, how did it start off? Oh, Sean Webb. <laughs> Where it doesn't away? matter. It doesn't matter. We did what we did, okay? Well, welcome back, everybody. Yeah, and we're looking forward to seeing you again. Yeah. Bye.